Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast. My name's David Hartrick and we have a full complement, a full team this week. So I'm going to introduce them individually. We do need to crack on, lads, just to warn you, because we've got a few meaty questions in tonight's Anything Goes show. Uh, I'm going to start by introducing you and just asking you a little yes-no question. First up, it is being very boring on Instagram's Ryan Keeney. Ryan, how are you? Very well, thank you, Dave. Quick yes or no question. Since Daniel Story last promoted or tweeted about the Football Fives podcast, has he tweeted that it's always a pleasure to go on to the Totally Football show? Yes or no? Yes. You are right, Ryan. Incredible. <laughs> uh, also joining me is the internet's Christopher Nee. Chris, how are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, mate. How are you? Uh, not too bad at all. Little yes, no answer for you. Uh since last promoting, tweeting, or putting the pod on Facebook for the Football Fives team, has I mean, Daniel Story has Daniel Story promoted or tweeted the amongst others uh, the podcaster from an appearance on BBC Nottingham, uh, the another totally football show, the BT Football Writers Pod, uh, and an appearance on Premier League World. Yes or no? Yes. Correct. Incredible. Also joining me is Dan. Right, moving straight on to the first question. Uh, we've got quite a meaty one this week. Um, I have thoughts and feelings about this first question. Um, so I am actually going to answer it last because you will say a lot of the things I want to say in a far more uh, eloquent way and without reaching for the swear button constantly. Uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you first. Should players face bans for offensive pre-professional tweets? I don't think they should, no, uh, which I suspect will be the kind of overwhelming uh, take from us all. Um, I, I kind of do see, actually, I do see why it has to be investigated. I don't have any problem with it being investigated. And if the player then goes, um, yeah, full and frank apology, um, Obviously, I retract what I said. I was young. It was stupid. I don't think that at all. Blah, blah, blah. Kind of, I know it feels like they're, you know, just going through the motions and, and box ticking, but it means more than that. Um, I think, I mean, this is a very, you know, it's a very presumptive thing to say here, but I think if I tweeted something that abhorrent and was no longer that abhorrent, I would kind of remember tweeting it. And therefore, I, I don't see why he hasn't deleted it. Uh, the the thing about Twitter is it remains a public record for as long as you delete it for, um, you know, deleting it doesn't make it any better. But actually, leave, you know, de- sorry, deleting it doesn't change the, you know, um, not the crime, but you know, the act. But it does make it a little better because it means that other people can't see it and can't, you know, 
we don't like the idea of footballers' role models, and I don't like the idea of footballers' role models, but there's no doubt that they have generally a lot of followers. Um, so they are influential on social media. So I, I don't see how it's been left there for that long. I don't see why the club hasn't looked into that and gone, come on. Um, and I think he should have to, I think he should make a full and frank kind of, not apology because it's too late, but a retraction of those views. Um, but he shouldn't be banned for it because the point about all this is not about you get banned for doing things in football. Um, and you know, if you get a you know if you get a criminal punishment for something, then obviously you can't play football. I've got no issue with that. Um, but banning someone for tweeting something seems a bit weird to me. I would rather they make you know right the wrong. Um, exactly the same as Troy Deeney, who um, again he was banned. Um, he was a footballer at the time, slightly different case, and he tweeted it when he was a footballer. Um, but again, I, I didn't think he should be banned. I think he should have gone on a you know an education course and should have issued a full retraction and said why he was wrong. Um, I don't see how it affects, how it helps anyone just to ban him from football. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't make anything better anyway. Ryan, I'm guessing we're probably all on pretty much the same page with this one. We've literally recording as Phil Neville uh, about an hour ago got officially confirmed as a manager of the England ladies team. And about five, five minutes later, uh, somebody dug up a, relevant sexist tweet where do you stand with things like this because phil neville is we're not talking about a 15 year old kid here are we i i think it, it still kind of even if you're a 15 year old kid i think when you're you're 15 you i mean you can leave school you can go off and, and hold down a job and you are to all intents and purposes on the verge of being an adult yes your your worldviews and, and who you are as a, a person hasn't been fully formed and I have incredible sympathies for the, the players specifically which is why I think there, sh- there should be more focus on the club or employers um, but I, I, I see no reason why there shouldn't be an investigation and, and a ban dished out where necessary um, I think it, it would just come down to the, the investigation and, and the person investigating would know who and what type of person was sitting across from them whether they were a bit of a wrong and whether they actually deserve that ban or whether it was um it was immature, or it was his moment, or it was friendly banter, um, which covers a, a horrendous number of sins. Yeah. But I think it, it, it's it's the fact that homophobic language, racism, uh, falls into that, that hate crimes category, and, and sexist language isn't uh, isn't far behind. And, and football still has a football still has a real problem with, uh, especially with gay footballers and and sexuality in, in general and racism. And so for a governing body or a club to not be seen to be taking that matter seriously um, won't do them any favours either. So I think there's <clears throat> should a player be automatically banned for offensive tweets from five, six years ago? No, um, but they should certainly face the chance of bans, assuming they, unless they haven't proved their behaviour since, they haven't, you know, they, they um, are obviously repentant and they're not just apologising for offending somebody, they are genuinely apologising for being a bit of a wronger when they were growing up. Um, and I think there is that element of, of putting themselves out there as somebody that wants to be seen to doing something wrong, becoming a, a force for good in, in that way, whereas other players and, and other people have been um, reprimanded and banned for, for um, similar haven't done that. They've just kind of tried to apologise for offending somebody and then trying to sweep it under the carpet, which is no way of repentance at all. 
Um, it should be said that in the last two minutes, the uh, the tweet offending tweet from Phil Neville has been deleted. So that's all absolutely fine mm. now. Luckily, he none don't, of he us doesn't have think, seen it. He doesn't think it anymore now, so it's fine. <laughs> it's just it's political correctness gone mad. Um, Chris, you look like a man who's had to delete a tweet or two in his time. Where do you stand on this? <laughs> yeah. Well, funny enough, I deleted a lot of tweets about Aston Villa's social media team not one week ago. Um, yeah, well, we're talking about Mason Holgate, aren't we, really? Uh, and I I want people, even youngsters, to be better than that. And I want players to have to moderate their language. I want the FA to take it seriously when they don't and more than any of that I want young players to delete this shit before anybody else finds it um the previous example was Andre Gray wasn't it did he get a, he, he would he got a matches ban didn't he was that three or four yeah, matches he got, he got for that and yeah. that in fairness that was some pretty despicable stuff um and I oh, sorry think- yeah I said I said Troy Deeney which is libelous because it wasn't Troy Deeney it was Andre Gray <laughs> ah I did I did wonder what he'd done as well Sorry, right, mate. He has it's been not to prison, totally but not for show. That. We're a bit more professional here. <laughs> mm, nice. Um, yeah, so I, I think probably I, we 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 spoke about Gray, and I think I was quite scolding at the time. And I I do think it's important to point out that I absolutely uh, judge these players for what they said when they were younger, and I'm I'm willing to allow them the leeway of thinking that they might have changed the way they think and the way they act. Um, but I. I, as an individual, judge them to an extent, right? But I'm not into retrospective action at all. And I might have said the opposite when we spoke about Gray because of the, the strength of, of the comments that he made. Uh, but I, I don't really see what business the FA has going back. Unless they can place it in a football context in some way. I do I think they need to make uh, make a point, potentially make an example of the players. But for me, it's the clubs that need to be thinking about, you know, exactly how far they want to push, you know, punishment or education or however you want to look at it. Mm. Um, for me, the Holgate situation is particularly unsavoury because of how it appears to have been unearthed in the immediate aftermath of his allegation that Roberto Firmino had, had um, racially abused him. You know, how quickly did this come to light after that derby game? Mm-hmm. Right? And that power that could potentially result in, you know, certainly an investigation that's, that's happening and a ban that's potentially going to be the outcome of that should not be in the hands of uh, opposition supporters who are willing to grass him up. Mm. It, should, it should be said that um, Holgate wasn't um, kind of not in football at that point. He was on the books of Barnsley. Of course. But you know, he was in their youth, he was in their academy structure. He wasn't playing first team games, but I suppose he, you know, he was 15 and players have played at 15 before. So, um, although it's obviously very unusual, but yeah. No, I, get so that. I, I understand that, but for me, it's, it's too I agree far with you. back I agree with for you, the FA. But the FA has enough to, to think about, as we'll talk about later on. Um, I think, uh, and they think didn't investigate. You know, they didn't look back, did they? It came to their yeah. attention because yeah. of a gr- grudge. Yeah, I think I think the perfect situation is this: it, it comes to light, and both the FA and Barnsley 
are able to say, yes, we're aware of it. We saw it years ago and investigated then and the player has you know, repented or went to an education course or, or whatever, that actually they should be on top of this. And that's where a lot of this, I think a lot of the, the blame on, on the Miss and Holgate case and any other cases we get, this, there's got to be a lot on, on clubs now to keep an eye on their players on social media, which is sounds a bit like parenting and, and I've just trying to make the argument that these guys are adults and, and footballers are you know should be held accountable for their actions but they've they've got to try and help them with that education point and as much as not putting stupid opinions out on the internet for everybody to see them but also just educating them to be better humans and, and better people you know with a, with a bit of upfront thought it would take clubs uh 10 seconds to do an automated trawl yeah. of any player who signs a professional contract. Yeah, certain terms. Yeah. Blacklisted terms. Done. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be a fun job putting that list together. Um oh, I've, uh, I've done the old blacklist, mate. It is a good giggle. I um I feel probably I, I think you, I think all three of you have offered fairly comprehensive and, and dare I say brilliant answers. But I feel a little bit stronger about this, I think, than you do. I think Absolutely not, with the caveat that if there is a consistent and persistent attitude there that needs to be challenged, whether that be racism, sexism, use of language, whatever, then that absolutely needs to be addressed. But if you're talking about one tweet when somebody's 15 and there's nothing that has followed that, I'm sorry, but that to me is just absolutely brilliant, absolutely besmirching there character for zero reason i i was a pretty terrible person at one (laughs) point in my life and now i am quite happy that i am i i always break the world down into two things really i think there's only two types of people pricks and people who are trying not to be pricks and i've been on both sides of the fence and i'm happy with the side i've chosen now and the way I'm going, I've said horrendous things, I'm sure. I'm, I, thank God Twitter wasn't around when I was 15. But I think people grow, people learn. And if anything, bringing up something from Mason, I mean, particularly in the, when you're a teenager, 12 months is a lifetime. 12 months is, is <laughs> it's a vast a vast time yeah. in terms of maturity, naivety, understanding standards, understanding what is expected of you just to be a basic human being in the world. And I just have such an issue with this because you could I'm sure you could do it with probably I reckon if you went back and looked at fifty percent of young players who've had Twitter accounts from when they were I mean, some is twelve or thirteen years old you would probably find something. And I think Ryan's exactly right about the clubs have got to step in and you, and you now need, there is a duty of care now with young players to make sure that when they're signing professional forms, that it, it it's almost a point where you say, right, you delete your social media and from this point on you can start again, but it's going to be moderated and this is, this is how it should be. Mm. It, it's I think- such a minefield for a generation of footballers that to be frank it it's just another 
it's just another stick to beat people with and i i don't like it i have a huge problem with it and i have an even bigger problem with the fact that mason holgate made an allegation of racism and the story became his tweets for 48 hours which i think is just absolutely despicable to be perfectly honest so so there the thing is i i i agree with that i i do think that um i believe wholeheartedly that Mason Holgate is a different person since then I do think given that he is I'm assuming and I believe he is a different person since then I would have thought he would want to come out and say you know if someone has has, has kind of like you just said there about yourself Dave and kind of uh yeah but Dan Dan, trouble if you if, if you're a teenager and you toss toss around that language before a point where you know better than to do that, mm. you might use that word. That word might be part of your regular vocabulary, whatever that word is. You learn, you move on. You can't go back and delete every instance from your life. You can't go back and no. remove everything. And the way, not to sound like an old man shouting at the clouds here, but the way the kids, he says in inverted commas, as the only one who's a father here, use social media now he will he could have written thousands of tweets and i'm sorry i just don't i don't think you can reasonably say that he should go back and find the one where he's used that word that before he changed i just it, it's no i don't, I, I agree with that but have it have it having come out you know and i don't agree with how it happened i don't agree with why it happened but have it having come out um it can't kind of it can't go away again so if he has changed, which I, as I say, I believe he completely believe he has, it's kind of in his best interest just to go. Do you know what? I don't agree with how that came out, but also I agree it was an awful thing to say, and I'm very glad that I've moved on since then, and I'm a better person, and etc. 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 He should want to. Um, it having come out, I don't. I don't think it helps him for it just to kind of be ignored, particularly when there is an investigation going on. You know, he already knows there's an investigation going on, so why doesn't he just kind of go? Look, this was stupid. I, I just basically that, say exactly the same as you've said, Dave, but attack I just, it head on rather than ignoring it. Well, while I know what you're saying, I just thank God that nobody on this podcast and nobody listening to this podcast is in a position where they're being asked to apologise for things they said when they were 15 years old, because I think the list would be endless oh, sure. for yeah. everybody to be frank i think it's the fast but there we go anyway that was a cheery start wasn't it that was nice yeah. and upbeat Tro- so troy Deeney, uh not relevant to that question whatsoever <laughs> no <laughs> what has he done absolutely not but what i did do is get mixed up with andre gray uh he did go to prison but he is a reformed character and a lovely man by all accounts Yes, very very much on the trying not to be a prick side now. Um, right, question number two. Are Twitter replies the black hole into which football fandom will eventually disappear? And there has rarely been a more Christopher Knee question than this. So, Chris, <laughs> let's turn to you first. What, social media and football fans? Um, uh, Twitter replies are not helping the cause of football fans. Um there is some truly awful stuff that gets replied to players and supporters and journalists and all sorts. Um, and increasingly, and this this goes for outside football as well, I don't particularly think the mindset is necessarily a football problem exclusively. I think these people are just um, detached from reality 
in every aspect of their social media life. Um, but you you see some horrendous stuff, and it's it just shows that people don't engage their brain properly and think about the wider consequences of what they're saying when they reply to to people on Twitter. Some of the examples lately have just been horrific. Um, I think did we we all saw the one that that got a little bit of a uh, a viral attention on the was it the anniversary of Matt Busby's death or his birthday? I'm sorry, I don't remember which one it was. Yeah, it, it was, was on his the anniversary death. of his yeah. Yeah, um, the Manchester United fan who replied to the club's tweet about that um, it really uh, crystallised the whole point for me. Um, Quite funny. Which was, awful. you know, a, a, a total... Um, I, no, I, I, I'll make the judgment that he didn't know who Matt Busby was for a start, which says a lot. Um, total disrespect for um, the club's tweet about someone who's passed away. Uh, and total focus on the sense of entitlement that comes from certain mindsets amongst football supporters. And then other things I've seen lately was uh, I I saw a fan who celebrated Ched Evans um, as part of a strike force of what he referred to as shaggers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, but that's terrible. You know, let's, let's... Let's give Evans the credit of assuming that he's a he's also a reformed character and he wants to put all that behind him and get on with his career. Even he doesn't want to see that stuff. No, yeah, it, 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 it staggers me sometimes. And I, there's stuff I've seen. I'll never forget when, um, I think it was El Nene signed for Arsenal, and his wife was pregnant at the time, and she had the baby about a day after he joined Arsenal, two days after he joined Arsenal. And the the first comment under the picture he put on Amsterdam, uh, on Instagram, Amsterdam, Instagram, um, of his wife and one day old baby. The first comment from an Arsenal fan was that having children wasn't the elite mentality required at <laughs> Arsenal, bro. And yeah. you just you read that, and you just think. What's going through your mind, sunshine? Yeah. So that's that's one side of this, and the 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 one that caught my eye over the weekend, I think, is the worst of the recent lot that I've spotted. The people, and notice the plural there, who replied to Salomon Rondon on Saturday night, celebrating him as some kind of machine after James McCarthy's broken leg. That's replies to Rondon's tweet expressing his feelings about the incident and he, you know he was clearly not in the mood to be celebrated for what happened on Saturday and people will go you know but it's it's very possible that the same people wouldn't go to the injured party and copy them into a reply about it joking but to assume that Rondon wasn't affected by it particularly having seen how badly affected he was just shows how detached some people are and we have to be better than this as football supporters I don't feel like I'm in the same game as these people. They don't represent me at all. Mm, I think it's... Well, Dan, I'd like to hear, as somebody who is a writer and, you know, this goes beyond to not just, just I think, Twitter replies, but also... Yeah. Football fans, WhatsApp chat. The, <laughs> But also there is the dreaded below-the-line comments, etc., etc. What's your feeling on this? I... Part of me thinks it's mostly people 
taking the piss, taking the piss in a kind of horrible way. And they think they're taking the piss, but actually they're not because that's not what, you know, you don't get to choose. Just as you don't get to choose who's offended by what you say, you don't get to choose what's taking the mick and what's actually being taken seriously. That's not how it works. But I mean, I kind of look at, or it sounds very, sounds a very um, fancy way of saying it, but I kind of look at Twitter like that as a kind of a moral um, experiment in that if you told a group of 10 people uh right there's some jewelry there and it's worth 500 quid um they wouldn't steal it if it was in a shop if you told a group of 10 people right you can have that jewelry you can steal it and no one will ever find out it's completely anonymous some of those people would steal it and i think that's what happens with twitter if you told those people right everything you tweet you'll be accountable for people wouldn't tweet half the awful abhorrent things they do tweet and they think about it before they did it but because it's such an instant medium and it's become so anonymous and so uh, you know such a lack of accountability i think they just don't think so i think they just say what it's you know i do it i'm as guilty of just tweeting whatever's in my head and you think that's just nonsense there's no need if you then get someone who you know has a kind of streak in them that they want to you know they want to lash out or they want to take the piss or they want to you know troll in inverted commas and can get away with it far more will do it than if they than if they couldn't get away with it that's kind of how i look at it um you know you look at the tweets the, the comments on our you know on 4365 they run through facebook i don't have, thankfully i don't ever look at them but i know that the worst comments we get are from people with anonymous accounts so they're just joke accounts that they've set up in order to be able to post awful things so that has that has to link together to me i i hope that there are people just that they don't my my hope is they don't actually think those awful things. They're just doing it for a reaction. Mm. Um, I, I think they, I think that's exactly what's happening, and I think that's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, it's still yeah, it's still it's still awful. It's still um, it doesn't make it any better. It's just it kind of explains it. It doesn't, yeah. you know. So no. it make, well, that's it, that's a dictionary definition of trolling. Yeah, Dan, um, I, I I I also do think this is not a you know, and, and kind of leaning on from that, this is not a, a football thing. Which is, to be honest, is the one thing that kind of makes me feel kind of happy about the whole thing is that it's not. This is not a football thing, you know. You look at the replies to any celebrity, and they're exactly the same. So it's not football that's broken; it's kind of society that's broken, which doesn't sound like good <laughs> right. news. But uh, yeah, at least it shows it's not just football's problem. Yeah, Dan. Mm. If they take the jewelry, pricks. If they don't yeah, take agreed, the jewellery, agreed. Try not to be pricks. You see, it's quite simple. <laughs> Ryan, yeah. your thoughts? Um, I think this ties a little bit into the previous question and the kind of pre-professional stuff. That if we're going to, and and this kind of mentions where if you tweet things when you're a child, people assume they can just get away with stuff online. There's not been any kind of comeuppance, and, and the two haven't really tied together. And it, it's similar to what we've all been saying that it. It's becoming this weird place online where everybody kind of attaches from it. As soon as they put down their phone or turn on the laptop or put down the, the iPad or the tablet or whatever they're using, that suddenly that's not them and they go back to living their real life and they've got this online persona and they can say what they like and they can be as abusive as they like and they can say horrendous things to women, but you know, that that's not who they are. Um and then they, they and they won't they won't feel like they become accountable for it, but then they wonder why they don't hear about those job interviews that or those CVs that they send off never get a response and, and it's because people are finding them on social media and, and all of that side of it so 
It is weird. It's not a football thing, as Dan says. It, it kind of accounts for all of society. But I just feel like people should try to be better than this. And, and it's, it's why weird things like Kicker have started and when Jonathan Angu tried to have a nicer place for uh, for sports conversation. And, and you kind of want to be above that. You don't want to get into the whataboutry or the... the just going back and forth from teams or you know comparing who got the most retweets on their transfer announcement or who got the most views on the video and and it all just it all becomes competitiveness and when there's not football on and there's there's a lot of the week where there's no football there's other things that need to you need to be competitive about especially during a transfer window when you want to announce transfers rather than hearing about um the passing of of Sir Matt Busby and it just it it's I think the ultimately every time I think about this or we ponder this or we discuss fans and, and the internet and social media in particular, I always just think ignore it. Um, much like I would with the shady arsehole on the train or um, on the bus or in the pub who kind of has, has those opinions. And there will have been guys standing in the pub kind of commending Rondon amongst each other for you know being hashtag beast and uh, breaking James McCarthy's leg with the power of his shot and all of that horrendous nonsense that goes with it but they're also the people that i would very happily know i'm sitting well away from and, and not engaging with and never bothering with mm, i agree i do think can i just say that um can i just say that uh the exception to the replies to tweets being awful is um uh david ornstein uh the cult of david ornstein which i'm very much on board with <laughs> I don't. I don't know if either of you have uh, Dave or. Um, is this the, this is the uh, the BBC Arsenal guy, isn't it? Yeah. So every time he tweets now, rather than just sort of stupid replies, there are, in fairness, some brilliantly creative artwork. Um, <laughs> and yeah, check that out. I mean, that's fine. A that lot is, of it involves John Cross, doesn't it? Sorry. A lot of it involves John Cross. A lot of the no, time. it's just, well, it's just kind of holding up. It's it's sort of David Ornstein, for example, being held up as Simba in The Lion King. Or that sort of thing. Mm. It's excellent. Um, I do think there is a little bit of a sickness within some football fans that there is this weird desire amongst some of them for their team to be uh, the good guys or the proper fans. Or like a prime example with this was I saw quite a few fans actually. There was we played Chelsea uh, live on Sky on Saturday lunchtime. And there was a young kid in the crowd, very young as well, I'd say probably nine or ten year old, who held up a sign asking for Eden Hazard's shirt. At the end of the game, Hazard wandered over and gave him the shirt. There was a Newcastle fan, for instance, which I can quote verbatim, who said, uh, complete joke of a fan base, this just about sums them up. So what he honestly <laughs> believes is that a ten year old kid who is at a Brighton game, he may, he's going there with his father, he's been given a experience that he will never forget for the rest of his life, he's got something that he will cherish forever, you're writing off an entire fan base because of that. And I do think that is, there is that attitude there of, you know, our club would never do that. Well, I hate to say it to that Newcastle fan and every other football fan in the world, but your club would do that and your club would do worse because all football clubs and all football fan bases are very, very similar. I think the problem with Twitter is is 
I mean, it's a generational thing. It just gives you somewhere to say something before you engage your brain. And I think I think you're right. I I do. I don't just think this is a football thing. Um, some of the supply, some of the replies that celebrities get, where there isn't a a football club to tie a reason to hate to, are just extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. And you just, I mean, I. There's half of me admires these people because I've never been that passionate about anything in my life, I don't think. You know, you just sit there and think, well, I don't know how you've... I don't know how you can mentally get yourself to that place where Ricky Gervais annoys you that much. I really don't. And I just think... I, I don't know how it's, how it's going to change, but, I mean, Ryan said it. I think we've just... You've all got to take a bit of personal responsibility and all you can really do is try and be try and not be a prick yourself that's that's all you can do and hope that example rubs people rubs off on other people I just or, wish you'd try harder <laughs> <laughs> you are talk sports Daniel story I didn't catch that um, Phil Neville's Twitter account has disappeared yeah he's, he's deleted the whole thing which is a shame yeah I mean I mean it's not that much of a shame I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm, get, I'm getting an England manager sat tonight but I'm definitely going to try my best um, we'll move on and listen, I promise, we've got another big question now. The last two questions are a bit more light-hearted, so bear Stick with, with us. us. <laughs> if we did a Football Five's Greatest Hits album, track one, our four-man a cappella version of Don't Stop Believing by Journey, track two, our four-man dramatic reconstruction of Leonardo Elbering Tab Ramos at the 1994 World Cup, track three would be this question, because we've answered it about three times, but... It keeps coming round and it keeps being relevant to ask. So, let's do it. Is the Football Association unfit for purpose? Ryan Keeney. Dan Ashworth is still in a job, so almost certainly. Um, <laughs> Done. Next. Uh, it just, it, I feel a bit weird um, answering questions like this because I imagine in about 20 years I will be a... 50-ish-year-old white man, probably slightly un- incompetent at my job, but I will somehow still hang around longer than I should. And I look forward to that because um, I'll be on a, a decent salary if people think I'm worthy of second and third and fourth chances. But it's just weird, the power that people who have bundled through so many situations in the last two years, 18 months, last year, have stuck around and... and have all managed to somehow blame each other and therefore all stay in the jobs that they're in. Um, just from the poor lack of due diligence that they've done around managerial appointments and bumbling around and, and somehow appointing somebody that doesn't apply for the England women's national team job to uh, the handling of a, a case with a, a high-profile international um, and her treatment by the coaching staff. There's just there's, there's so many areas where... It's unfathomable to me that they have hung on as long as they have. Um, but the flip side is there aren't many other governing bodies that are better. So, you know, best of a bad bunch, which is, you know, something positive to take from yeah, it. Yeah, that's a lot of, lot of bar. Um, Chris? Uh, yes is the answer to the question. I, I think, in fairness, I probably wasn't too glowing about mitigating circumstances last time we did this question, uh, which is the only one we've done more often than the question. Uh, 
I, I think I have a little faith that St. George's Park and the associated plans for development of coaches and, and players seems to be having some kind of effect. That said, we're now staring down the barrel of uh, flaws that are so serious that they can't be overlooked anymore. The, uh, the uh, aforementioned Mark Sampson issue and actually the complicity or otherwise of, of Ashworth and of uh, Martin Glenn in his appointment and the investigations into those, those allegations. Um, that's bad stuff. You know, That's th- this isn't, I'd prefer the FA to be this or that. Or even, I'd prefer the FA to set up in a way that the England national team was better. That's serious. And that's without even mentioning the safeguarding issue that finally did for him. I think club ownership and governance and the, their lack of teeth in that realm is is, is pretty serious. And of course, the most serious of all is ongoing abuse scandals. You know, that is so serious that you can say, okay, Football Association is totally unfit for purpose because it didn't deal with that. It's not dealing with it now. And the, those are deep-rooted problems that are um, the result of an antiquated body that entirely lacks diversity. And when you throw in the incompetence that everybody's been talking about forever in a day, it all adds up to the FA really not justifying the positions of the individuals within it. I think it's more more a structural thing than a, an individual's thing. I think you can name some names, but I don't think that they, are on their own, can make the FA unfit for purpose in its entirety. But I think when you throw them into the mix, then we've got we've got real problems, and that's without the little stuff. You know, I I would say, in hindsight, we shouldn't have Nike kits. They should have been stronger on gambling partners. Their general commercial greed grates on me. Um, I'm not happy with the way they treat the early rounds of the FA Cup. I'm not happy with the way they treat the VARs and the trophy. And as much as it's open failings, it's to do with the type of FA I want. And I think that's the distinction um, that you you hit upon there, Ryan. That there are be- that there are worse, but I want our football association to be diverse and progressive. I want them to consider themselves and act like guardians of the game. I want consistency in its rulings and I want some bite to go with the bark. And it just doesn't have any of that. I think yeah, I, mean, I think not... they're really badly letting down football as a whole. Yeah, I'm not trying to... I mean, the argument is saying that there are other governing bodies that are bad, therefore, and that is a what about argument, which I, I hear. I think... Every governing body should be better, and like, you do a quick search in British Cycling, US gym, Gymnastics, FIFA, ICC, WTA, and Sri Lankan Cricket have all had trouble in the last 23 days. That's just this year. Mm. Um, never mind everything that's gone before it, but football and the biggest sport in the world and, and the biggest sport in this country, and they should be striving to be bigger, than, better than they are, bigger than they are, and, and nobody should be able to get away with the things that they, they've been allowed to, and, and or it's just they shouldn't be able to hang on that long. That there are, I think, there's situations like this at George Park, and it feels like some of the men in their roles are are too big for the jobs, and and there's almost like there's there's people are afraid to try and oust them and and kick them out. When 
really they shouldn't be there. Um, and, and that's kind of, I think, what it's coming down to. That mm. it, it's just, it's, an, it's really, really strange that these people can be in these jobs. But then the older I get, the more I think that people who are incompetent at their jobs hang on much longer than they should. Yeah, How you doing middle all right, age, mate? I can see you at work. <laughs> middle aged white men, mate. We can only fail up. Dan. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I look forward to my career as a CEO of something. Dan. Um, yeah, I mean, you basically you basically said most of my points. I mean, the fact that um, you know this kind of started the FA basically lost all um, goodwill within the game when they bent over to the Premier League and kind of put themselves or were put in a position where they now can't stand straight again. They, At that point, they lost the ability to A, govern the game, because I don't think they do govern it, um, and B, they lost the ability to kind of safeguard it. And they're doing neither at the moment. Yeah. You know, We've seen some of the, scan- some of the scandals within the game um, paint the FA in a pretty horrific light. Not necessarily as you know, as, as deliberately criminal, but as negligent, you know, as, as kind of not just not fit for purpose. The thing is, is I'm not sure what what exactly, how exactly was the wording of the question, Dave? Was it that it's just not fit for purpose? Is that what we're saying? I um, will just bring it up on the spreadsheet because I'm professional. Uh, we've asked this before, but let's do it again anyway. Is the Football Association unfit for purpose? Yeah, because... I think that's the important... For me, that's the important clarification. It's not, for me, just that the people at the FA are unfit for purpose, because I don't think anything changes if you get rid of every single one of those and get rid of and get in another set of, of people. I don't think anything changes. I think it's about the mindset of the organisation. And I know the organisation sh- should kind of be led. You know, it's not a... You know, it's, on a, it's not an animated thing itself, but it has this kind of glacial pace of change at the FA that means it's still stuck in the 1880s basically um, so and I don't think just getting other people in makes any difference I think it's the actual FA itself has to change I think it has to completely completely be start, you know, wiped and started again Germany did a version of that in 2000 um, where they kind of put their the, the, you know, the future of the national team and the future of the club game at the forefront and basically ripped everything up and started again. And I can't see, having tried everything to get the England team, and they claim that's what they want, you know, they claim they want the England to be, team to be successful. Having tried everything to do that, apparently, the one thing they haven't done is looked in the mirror and gone, actually, maybe it's us. Maybe if we changed, we might you know, we might have a better chance. And we would, we would. If we didn't have old white men in blazers in those committees, we would be better. You know, it doesn't reflect the country. It doesn't reflect, certainly doesn't reflect football. It's just, just absolutely ludicrous. But I don't think it's as, you know, it's very easy to go, yeah, you're right. Let's get rid of that guy and let's get another guy. And we've seen that at FIFA. That doesn't work because power corrupts people and it changes people and they just end up exactly the same thing. Dan, am I being too harsh in uh, levelling the abuse scandal at them? Uh, I wrote it down. As we said, I I worked for, you know, I worked uh, in a previous life on the contract for the FA's criminal records checking. And, you know, I, I speak to people, I've spoke to people, and it's, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but kind of on the ground, you know, the people that work for their football clubs and that really want to, and do you know what? They're brilliant. Everyone at grassroots level is brilliant. You know that yourself, Chris. They yep. try, try, and try. Um, 
I, I don't know is the honest answer to that. I'm not sure. Uh, they have they had very thorough pro think you know very thorough practices in place. Sadly, my conclusion on that is that if someone wants to do that, then it's very very difficult to have anything foolproof in place to stop them. Yeah, if, they, yeah. if, if that's someone's intentions, then I think it's very hard to stop it, particularly if they're in a position of responsibility, which clearly they are. I'm, I'm willing to retract that to an extent. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, as with all this, the FA, it would be weird if the FA were negligent and everything else and had suddenly been completely professional in this, don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that set aside in itself is them to blame. I just think it's a general kind of part of the malaise, really. This episode of the podcast is going to have more cut out on it than me when I went off on one about Sam Allardyce after he got sacked. Um, my answer is that I agree with all of you. It needs major structural reform. I think they, the typical thing with the FA is to go 50% of the way and then stop. They get a good idea, they start going down the path, and then they stop. But I, I think it needs a structural change, but I come back to the same thing I say every single time which is they need to get players involved in the FA. The example I've said before twice on this podcast, I'm going to say again, they've watched Rio Ferdinand, uh, one of our most prominent black footballers ever to wear the international shirt, sail into a world of punditry and his magazine and various other enterprises without ever thinking, do you know what? it would be a good idea to offer him a position within this organisation where he can actually tell us what it's like being a footballer, what it's like in, in particular being a black footballer, where we need to make changes, what would help the international setup, what would help the international team. I go back to the same example every single time. It's all right laughing at the England players saying, well, there's nowhere to play golf at St George's Park, but it goes to show they were never consulted. Nobody thought to ask them. And that, I besides think, hey, all the all the major issues that Chris identified, besides Ryan sort of quite rightly pointing out that there are far worse than RFA, the whole thing needs ripping up, starting again, and they need to get people who know what they're talking yeah. about in there. But when I, when I say to you about kind of, for me, it's not the people, it's the, the kind of the whole organisation itself. Like, Rio Ferdinand clearly is a guy who wants to inspire the next generation of, of footballers? Not just black footballers, but you know, not just he wants to be a positive just, force. Yeah, he wants he wants to he wants to inspire the next generation. We know that. So we, I, I can only assume that he he doesn't see going to into the FA. Never mind, you know, never mind being asked. But kind of, he doesn't even see pushing himself forward for FA gigs as the way to do that. And and to me, that just says that there are plenty of players who feel the same as we do. They've just kind of given up on it and there's an organisation. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's that's the ultimate indictment, really. And it, the thing is, we will ask this question again next season at some point and we will ask it the season after and we will ask it in the summer, but it will be about Grower Southgate's position. It, it's just it's just how it is at the moment and the whole thing needs ripping up and starting again. It'll all be different when I'm in charge. Right, we move on to something a little bit lighter-hearted now for the last Yay. two. Um, in light of there has been a particularly high-profile swap deal in football this week, 
these are, I think we can all agree, these are one of the best things in football and they ne- they actually, they never ever happen. It is so rare. It's so often mooted in the old transfer gossip, but it's so rare these things actually happen. It's often quite brilliant when they do. So, what is your favourite swap deal? Daniel Story. Um, I'd just like to say, uh, they are also absolutely brilliant for web traffic. Um <laughs> We've had our highest ever week by an absolute mile. Mm. Uh, for some reason, but you're right; everyone loves them. Does not even the fans of those particular clubs. Just everyone loves them for no reason. All you it's need no is to th- really. you just need to throw a Liverpool player into a three-way swap, and you've got the golden triangle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of internet yeah. traffic. Uh, I have gone for um, a straight swap. So, I mean, obviously, some of the, the yours might involve little money as well. But um, it's Fabio Cannavaro and Fabian Carini. Um, hmm, who got the best of that deal? Do we think? Yeah, in hindsight, <laughs> Inter Inter are pretty good at completely arsing up transfers. They got they got paid two million of the Coutinho deal as part of a one point five percent sell on. They let Pirlo go. They let um, who asked this? I saw someone absolutely brilliant for no money. Anyway, not Pirlo then. They also yeah, Pirlo is at Inter. Yeah, but he wasn't brilliant. Mm, he, he, oh right, yeah, you don't like Pirlo. Sorry, my mistake. Um, <laughs> anyway, they let him go to a Milan, where at least we can agree he was better than average. Um, no. Yes. Anyway, Fabio Cannavaro was at um, Inter. They let him go. Swapped with a reserve goalkeeper who played four games in three years. Um, Carini, having failed to get past Gianluigi, uh, having failed to get past Toldo and Julio Cesar. Um, sorry, having failed to get back past Buffon, then failed to get past Toldo and Cesar, while Cannavaro won two Calciopoli-inspired league titles, um, but was also named twice in a row defender, Serie A Defender of the Year and Serie A Footballer of the Year before going to Real Madrid, where it also went pretty well and won World Player of the Year. So yeah, they, they asked that up, that's what I'm saying. Chris? In 2007, Martin O'Neill swapped his number 10 and gave the number straight to his replacement. And the outgoing player was Milan Barros, and the incoming player was John Carew. And that was, it was like swapping a lazy bottle of piss for a bloody expensive red wine. <laughs> John, John Carew was an absolute hero for Villa. He was brilliant. And the connection he had with the supporters was so far away from sitting in the halt end and swearing your head off because a player in a Villa shirt wasn't busting a gut. That's all it was with Barros. You'd look at him and he just wasn't in it to the same extent that you would be as a supporter. Carew was totally different. And it was you know baffling that we ever had him and for him to make such a connection was um, was pretty extraordinary. And it's lasted as well, you know, with, he's, he's still very fondly thought of. And considering what we paid for him was Milan Barros, it's one of the biggest bargains we've ever had. Was there ever a chant for John Carew that went along the, the tune of Agadu? No, that was my that, one my one frustration with it. Did you have was... bigger than me and you or not? You what? Did you have, did you have John Carew? Carew is bigger than me and you? Yes, we did. Oh, so you didn't cool. have John Carew, Roo, Roo, Roo. 
What a cry and shame. No, we didn't uh, have that. Um, there was another one that I thought. Uh, I think... No, it's gone. Tell me, Piano Man. But it never happened. Nothing ever happened. It was just <laughs> bigger than me and you. Uh, Ryan. All right. Yeah, not bad, mate. How are you? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, well, we can't as a swap deal. Straight Two swap. players have to go the other way. Yeah, all right. Mine's got no, money well, involved. Just, I, I just always like no, no. I just I've mine's got money involved, but I always like the stories of players being swapped for like training kits and. Training. Oh yeah, Ian Tony Wright. Cascarino. Yeah, Tony, Tony Cascarino went for Jillingham tracks in and... 1982. Yeah, Ian and some Ian Wright went for uh, a set of gym weights. Yeah, um, I have gone for William Gallas and Ashton Cole. Um, in 2006, which. Just at the time, you kind of there is a moment where you kind of yeah everybody's done all right out of that, but there was genuine like looking back on it now, there was, like there was genuine debate at the time who had got the better deal. You either had Ashley Cole on one side, who was twenty five, the best left back in the world, or you had William Gall- William Gallas who was twenty nine, and I think the one thing he had going for him was brackets World Cup finalist. Um, and it was just it's incredible looking back on it now how the media tried to paint Cole as a, a grumpy young black player. Um, out to just after the cash and obviously the cash stuff and everything, whereas actually he wanted to. Well, I mean, he, the money would have helped, but he he was going to be competitive and win titles and win trophies. Um, but the the narrative all around this was Wenger, Wenger showing his acumen and and getting rid of a a troublemaker in the uh, in the locker room and replacing him with William Gallas. <laughs> it's bold. Yeah. It was yeah, uh, it, it, it was quite some deal that. Um, I've gone for a deal where. Everybody was a winner, really. And that was uh, Spurs buying Jermaine Defoe uh, for West Ham and West Ham getting Bobby Zamora in return, plus seven million quid. Both went on to do pretty well, both playing at clubs they really wanted to play for. Both ended up with very similar records, actually. Defoe, 177 games, 60-odd goals. Zamora, 150 games, 40-odd goals. Spurs got a striker who was, I, I think, you know, let's be honest, for a long time at Spurs, in both spells, he was ruddy, bloody excellent. And West Ham fans, you know, got to see the footballer who defined a generation. So, uh, yeah, pretty good deal yeah. all round, really. Also a deal that resulted in the most racist chant I've ever heard, which I will tell you all about afterwards. <laughs> um, question number five. And very topical. This is going to put the pressure on someone to edit, remember to edit it and get it out on time this week. Uh, which fourth round FA Cup game are you looking forward to? Mine is uh, I'm physically going to see um, Huddersfield Town play Birmingham because that is the day job. But I am looking forward to tea time, Newport County versus Spurs because that feels like a proper early rounds FA Cup tie. Spurs will probably batter them out of sight, but... Who knows? Uh, Ryan. Uh, similarly, I've gone Peterborough against Leicester in the early kickoff on Saturday. Feels like a proper fourth round uh, cup tie. Peterborough have lost one of their last ten in all competitions, which is pretty decent form. They're the home side. There's a chance of uh, an upset, which is all I ask for. Dan. Uh, I'm going to see an awful lot of FA Cup this weekend. Uh, we'll be watching Yeovil on Manchester United on Friday. I'll be watching Newport Spurs on uh, Saturday and Hull City, Nottingham Forest. And then I'll be watching two on Sunday for work. So I've got a lot to choose from. I'm going for Cardiff Man City because um, as we speak, 
Manchester City are playing and they might keep a clean sheet. But as I speak now, they've kept one clean sheet. Uh, no, they haven't kept a clean sheet in the last five games, which is unusual. And only one of those have been against a kind of, well, only one of them's been against a top half team, I think, in the Premier League. So I just think that maybe something might happen. I can vaguely remember Cardiff City's Premier League season. I think their first home win of the season was against City, um, live on the TV. And Warnock against Guardiola. Who doesn't want to? Who really? doesn't want to watch that? Yeah, I just think there might be a. This is obviously a very silly thing to say because they'll batter them, but uh, <laughs> I think there might be a little cheeky upset. How about it, guys? Dan, Chris, Dan, stop tweeting. <laughs> It's Dan tweeting while he's actually recording this <laughs> podcast. Would you do that on the Totally Football Show? Yeah. Would you do that on the Football Writers Show? I'm bear in mind you're, just sat, mate. Bear in mind you're doing a vlog at the same time. I noticed there was a video version available, so I could see your stupid face. Uh, <laughs> can Chris, we do a video version? Is that the new, is that can, the new yeah. thing? Yeah, we can do a video version. Is that the new thing you've been testing, Chris? Absolutely not. Yeah. Chris, oh. what are yes. you looking forward to? Uh, yeah, far be it from me to wish good things upon my local football league side, uh, but Coventry City travel to Milton Keynes uh, on Saturday to face uh, Milton Keynes um, to give them their full name. So I want Coventry to win, obviously, and I think they will fancy themselves as well after toppling Stoke. So I'd, it's not the glamour tie of the round, but actually I think if you're looking for a realistic prospect of a team beating someone from a higher division... Um, mm. what with there only being a handful of places actually between them. I think this is a They've decent show. And, and getting to the yeah. fifth round would be a, a, a good showing for Coventry as well. Milton Keynes have got a new manager, haven't they? Yes. They've got the, uh, a very... Who, obviously, we don't like Milton Keynes, but that appointment makes me like them a little bit more. Why? It's a bit who, different. Who have they got? Uh, is it, he's called Dan Michichi, I think he. Or, I don't know how you pronounce his name, but anyway, he's a he was an under six. He's England under 16s coach, mm. so it's quite a, a very unusual appointment. Yeah. Surely he's not as likable as Carl Robinson. No, I like Carl Robinson. There was talk of him coming back. Uh, that would have been nice as well. But um, I feel a bit of Coventry. My mate's a big Coventry fan, and obviously they beat a Premier League team. There's nothing more anticlimactic than beating a Premier League team and then getting Milton Keynes away. Is a no. <laughs> No, I, I think that's a very good shout, Chris. And if you want a little uh, bit of advice for a bet on the weekend, get a fiver on Keith Houching, first goal scorer. Uh, <laughs> right, you can find us in all the usual places. You will find me, Ryan and Chris, retweeting the Football Fives pod at some point. Uh, the other one, uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. He likes media things now. Uh, so we shall see you all next week. See you there. Love you, bye. bye. Love you.